Hello everyone, welcome to episode 514 of Cold Wave Soundcheck. I'm Aaron Pollock. This year we're chatting with the performers of the Cold Wave's Five Festival in Chicago September 23rd and 24th at Metro. Featuring Me Beat Manifesto, The Cox, Clock DVA, Pig, The Black Queen, Cubidine, and more. For ticket links and full lineup, including a Thursday night kickoff show and post-show DJ sets at Smart Bar, head to coldwaves.net. This week we're chatting with festival promoter Jason Novak, who's not only performing with the Cox on Saturday night, but is debuting his latest project on Friday night. This is Vampire Anthem.
Let's talk about this year's lineup. Once again, you were able to find some bands that are new, that don't even have a release out yet. You were able to grab people that haven't been in the U.S. in forever. Let's talk about some of the standouts this year. Well, let's see. Meet Be Manifesto's kind of been on our wish list for a few years. I've reached out to their camp several times since we started this and was always told, oh, the live act is just kind of on hiatus. And I said, all right, I'm going to talk to you again next year. So that's been kind of a labor of love and something I'm really excited about. Um, a lot of people have been trying to get Clock DVA here, too, for the past few years. And, the, you know, the it just didn't work out with scheduling or finances or whatever. So it was just something that we put our heads together with them and we figured that out. You know, there's a couple of other... You know, newer acts like Kanga and Hyde, we were turned on to by, uh, you know, people like my brother, actually, and Ethan and uh, Sean Payne. And uh, next thing you know, we kind of serendipitously booked them and then found out later, oh, look, they have this cool remix coming out and they have this album coming out. And wow, Kanga's producing her record with Reese Fulber and, you know, stuff that we didn't even know. We just liked the music and we thought it would be a cool band to to expose our audience to and it turns out that you know they'd already been building a lot on their own so it just it was really exciting the way it all came together you know obviously the revolting cox thing has been a real in the lab kind of process that we've been building and uh with you know we kind of talked about it richard and i and paul and chris and everybody had kind of chatted about it over the last couple of years but you know everything just fell into place this year as far as paul barker playing with pussifer you know, the way their schedule worked out gave him a couple months right during Cold Waves. Uh, Front 242 took the year off from playing, and it's also the 30-year anniversary of the Big Sexy Land record. So we all just said, look, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen now this year. And, you know, talking to Raymond Watts, talking to, you know, Mark Heels, another one, man. I've talked to him the last couple of years, and every year I thought, I think we're going to get Cubanate this year. He'd just say, I don't think we're ready. This one seems like it's going to be really special just because... There's so many bands that we've been trying to put together, you know, uh, an appearance with for the past few years, and now we're getting all of it, you know, to come together. I've always wanted to respond to every single one of the posts that, you know, once a year or twice a year will run some kind of, hey, who would you like to see at Cold Waves? And I would love to just answer each one of them individually and go, call them, talk to them. They won't do it. They broke up. Those people are dead. That'll never happen. That's too much money. They can't do it. They won't do it. They refuse to talk to each other. Like <laughs> everybody that's on those lists has, has already been kind of poked. And, uh, you know, some of them might put something together in the future others you'll never see you know no matter what you throw at them let's talk about integrating with smart bar this year for post-show dj sets you know tell me about being able to to set that up this year is that something you wanted to do in the past bringing smart bar into the picture was something that we kind of had to earn our way into you know obviously the first year that this happened was a fluke and and a sad you know reason that everybody knows by now and from what catapulted from that, I mean, the second year financially was a bit of a disaster. It could have ended there, um, you know, but then we said, you know, we're going to keep trying and keep shooting for it. And I think that next year we had brought up the idea of let's, what if we, you know, stretch this into Smart Bar and make a bigger event? And I think Metro even still said, you know, at that time, well, let's let's see how it does. And Smart Bar is a big moneymaker for them. And, you know, they're not going to just pass it off lightly for a full weekend. So, the, you know, we had, we would have to secure it, rent it, make sure that they made their money for the weekend. So at the time, and even last year, we just didn't, 
you know, we didn't have enough to cover it. But then with the success of last year, I think that gave us the cojones to walk into the uh, meeting for this year and say, look, we think it's time for us to give this a shot with Smart Bar. And we put a deal together and we, you know, we got some talent that could, you know, pull their own numbers in regardless of cold waves because, you know, that was kind of the point was to find, you know, we talked to a few other artists and the ones that we got were super happy with but everybody was sort of on this fringe of industrial but also had crossed over into other areas like black asteroid or dhs or not breathing they all might fit just fine on a cold waves bill but they also probably all had their own separate fan base that could you know really couldn't care less about you know the uh, seeing an industrial festival so that was kind of the point there and now we can keep smart bar open during the festival so people can go down they can have a seat the show will be you know simulcast and broadcast on a big screen we'll have some charity booth information down there there'll, there'll be a, a bar staffed as well as you know kumas will be outside again and this time you can get food and bring it down in a smart bar and eat it so my little gripes about you know the metro is that there's no seating except for the vips so we're really excited to be able to offer you know, some seating options for people that are going to want to come to a five or six hour show. It's like, give me a break. I got to sit down for a few minutes and, and now you can. Stabbing Westward also seemed like a huge get. I feel like they could have easily had built one of the headlining slots. So tell me about grabbing them. And then it seemed like things were a little dicey for a bit with the double tour, but it looks like they're secured and putting on shows for the rest of the year. That's been a real up and down, you know, headache, kind of a stressful thing. You know, we always want to do a pre-party every year that, in our minds, is a way for people who show up out of town early or want to get together the night before and kind of, you know, more of a social gathering as opposed to sitting and watching a show. So, um, you know, doing Acumen last year was was kind of fun. So we didn't really have any intentions of putting something together that big for the pre-party this year. And uh, you're right, Stabbing Westward is one of the bands that was always kind of on our wish list, and they would have ultimately made a great headliner for one of the Cold Waves nights. But just through just a series of events, hanging out with Walter Flakus, who's a you know original member of Stabbing Westward, and he's a DJ now at WKQX in Chicago. Um, you know, my wife and I were out with him and some friends, and they just started talking about stabbing. And next thing you knew, she had, you know said, you know there's this pre-party and next thing you know, we're all talking about it. And they said, you know, by all means, we'd love to do it. And I actually kind of tried to talk them out of it to some degree saying, Hey, you know, stabbing should be, you know, on the main stage, it should be something bigger that, you know, we, we put some work into and they insisted that they wanted to do something kind of small, kind of special and intimate. And, um, you know, the first time they played in 13 years is stabbing Westwood proper. And, the show sold out in seconds, and it upset a lot of people that there wasn't more seats. And, you know, anything that we threw at them, like, let's do a second show, let's move it to a bigger venue, and blah, blah, blah. They were like, nope, this is just this one-off special event. And so it's going to be one of those shows that you'll say that you were there for, and, you know, that's it. So Double Door did get into some, you know, legal hassles this year, and ultimately we will be losing the Double Door as a venue in Chicago, which is sad enough in itself, but... You know, obviously, when you had a show as big and exciting as we had put together there, for our own selfish reasons, we were a little scared every time it would show up in the news about this, you know, the legal hassles that Double Door was having with their landlords. But we were assured that no matter what happened, you know, the show would go on. And sure enough, uh, you know, it will. So it's going to be a pretty sad and special night for a lot of reasons, just because of the aspect of Double Door. 
uh, not to mention, you know, just how insane it's going to be as a fully packed, sold out, you know, show for the return of Stabbing Westward. Tell me about the new charity this year, Darkest Before Dawn. Jim Marcus wrote this great article after Jamie had passed, and it really focused on what a lot of people don't think about for the night shift workers, and especially in the service industry where you're called upon to smile and give everybody else their attention to put on a great show or to serve a great meal or pour a great drink. And you smile and you get other people through their great night, and then you get off work. It's dark, it's lonely, and there's nowhere to go. It's just a very isolated lifestyle. And it kind of dawned on us after um, we lost another sound engineer in Chicago named April McDane um, this past winter. And it just was like enough is enough. We've known too many people now and there's really no support system for this group. Why don't we start something of our own? Then that way we can put 110% into raising money and awareness for an organization that impacts the very people that we've been wanting to help the whole time. So we put our heads together and we did some research and we, we came up with, with this darkest before dawn and it's very slow going. There's lots of legal hassles and lots of IRS hassles and the, you know, the company exists and we've already had our first fundraising donation from Martin Atkins and the SAE school, which was awesome. And uh, that's just sitting in a bank and waiting to be used as soon as we get our, uh, IRS determination and we can start building events and start building awareness and we can build ways to help the service industry community and that seems to be something that all the people that work with cold waves whether you know the the door staff to the metro staff to the sound guys to the bands themselves are all in some way connected to that you know from a counseling uh, social work standpoint it's just not a group that gets a lot of attention and is kind of taken for granted and you look at it from a restaurant and bar perspective there's pay structures put in place where these you know they don't make a lot of money on paper there it's very difficult for them to get benefits just like any other low paying job and if they do get benefits mental health is definitely on the back burner so we have a lot of goals and a lot of ideas that hopefully once we can get some funding together and, and start building the organization to put more plans into motion to to help the local community of you know service industry night workers
So let's switch over to Vampire Anvil. Tell me about forming the group of Sean. Vampire? Who's Am? Oh, yeah, Vampire Anvil. I think that when Sean and I, we finished the last AccuCrack record that I had started before Jamie passed, I think we had a really good time working together and we had talked about putting a different project together. And then one day, a year later, I just woke up, had an idea for these sounds and songs and started banging together a record and just said, Sean, do you want to you do this with me? And the idea is to bring a lot more live percussion into a... Uh, industrial or electronic set using electronic percussion a lot of bands we you know we've seen there's a lot of tribal drums there's a lot of bands that try to mix their electronic sounds with live drums and different percussion instruments and hand drums and stuff like that i've witnessed most of the time is that the sound system just doesn't work as well as in you know it does on a recording or in your head we've decided that we're going to replace any of those kind of ideas of acoustic instruments with electronic drums and so that they can be mixed in the same way that you know backing tracks and 808s and loops in uh, electronic music are mixed, but they can be played live and organically. Um, so then we just kind of started moving towards this the name and tossed out a few ideas and came up with kind of a concept behind it and wanted to make it emotional and and strong and kind of dirty and noisy and you know something that kind of mixed the. Uh, kind of like a cyanotic acumen, acucrack kind of mix. And I think we pulled it off. We wrote it and recorded it in about four months and just got it out. Just kind of the way, kind of the Crack Nation idea. It's like come up with the idea, execute it, put it out, make it happen. So you've known Sean since he was following you guys around uh, playing his acumen. Tell me about how you've seen him grow as a musician. Well, it's been fun to watch him grow from, a, you know, an annoying little kid and, you know, and, and just a music fan and somebody who was influenced by part of the scene that we were involved in and see him grow from a music fan to a music creator and then to watch how, you know, that that level of creation reminded me of when I first started doing it and the ideas that you lift and the sounds that you kind of mimic and then you kind of grow into your own and build your own style and I've been watching that happen since, you know, his first record and now he's got a label and now he's you know, turning heads left and right with the stuff that he puts out in the, you know, the music that he performs. And it's been, it's been fun for me to watch and a treat to work with him too. I think we work really well together. A lot of times I get a grumpy old man syndrome and I'll just be like, this track's done. We're finished. And, and he goes, well, why don't you try this? And like, maybe a little bit of that and just, just humor me and do that. And I'll go, fine. All right, let's try that. And then I start listening to it and I smile and I go, God damn, he was right. It's like, I think, I've grown really good at presenting the idea of building the base of a track, uh, the you know coming together and saying, okay, that's a song. It's from start to finish. And then, you know, Jamie was always really good at this, and so is Sean coming in and kind of secret elving at, after midnight and getting you know the bells and whistles and the better transitions and the, adding more special bits and pieces that make the song stand out. Is this the first live set for you guys, or did you play at the Glitch Mode Showcase? Hell no, this is going to be the first one. I think we're going to rehearse uh, maybe once. We'll see what happens. I mean, you've been on stage with so many other different bands. Is it different if it's something new, or or do you just bring you know the confidence of your previous history? That's a really good question, and I haven't performed since whatever Cocksure did last or Czar did last, but that's going on many, many months now, and it's going to be an odd thing to just get on a stage. But you do, after 20 years, you'll, you know, it's easy to draw on some of that confidence. But, you know, I've never played 
you know, the percussion, uh, the live percussion that we're going to attempt to pull off for the show. I've never really played that live. There's some vocal bits in an album that, you know, I haven't really attempted singing that kind of style on stage before. So, so yeah, it's going to be interesting, but, you know, we've put a lot of work into it. I'm joking. We'll have, there's several rehearsals and it'll be a very fun show. And it's definitely a balancing act with everything else that, that I'm working on. Tell me again about the, the post-apocalyptic mascot that, that you guys came up with for the artwork. The idea of this character, Tetsuo, who's the name's been used, obviously, before, and Akira and Tetsuo, the Iron Man, but it just was something we almost called the band Tetsuo, and then it just seemed maybe that was just a little too much. So the Vampire Anvil was something that I had always had in the back of my mind because I had made a mistake of in uh, the naming of a... Um, an Autecker EP that I always thought was called Vampire Anvil. And I thought, wow, that's such a great name. And and then to realize it was not the name. And so to me, it was like, okay, this will be extremely unique because it's built off a mistake. It's like, I can't, you know, I looked it up on Google. No one had ever used it before. So it's like, okay, this is fun. Let's run with it. You know, it's, it's a made up idea and not something that's taken from a film like, like Tetsuo. But anyway, the idea is just, you know, the, the man you know versus machine but you know through the eyes of kind of a child and that's you know that's who our character is 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 obviously a big dumb baby machine who doesn't know the limits of his power and you know still wants to be treated like a person but you know the iron giant comes to mind or the uh the monster beastie from cloverfield you know just a big baby with all this power but no idea really what to do with it
On this episode, you heard Prudent That Dirty Steamin, Stupid Is That Stupid Is, and You Fly Off the Handle. Vampire Anvil can be found at cracknation.com slash vampireanvil. Our opening music is Monster Zero by Acumen Nation. Our closing music is Messiah by Splinter Group. Subscribe to our show through iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app with the links found in the show notes. Join us next week for the final episode of the season as we chat with Justin McGrath from Polyfuse. Our closing segment each week is dedicated to the inspiration for Cold Days, Fallen Chicago Musician, and Soundman Jamie Duffy. Here's Jason again with his memories of Jamie. When we were in bands and friends, Jamie would always kind of joke that I was the dad that he never had, and I would get kind of mad about it. And uh, I wouldn't get mad, but I would just say, Jamie, I don't want to be your damn dad. I just want to be your, your bandmate. And then, you know, we, once in a while, we'd both have a little too much to drink, and he'd you know, he'd get all teary-eyed and say, "God, oh, Dad, you, you know, I'm like, God, fuck it. And I, all right, Jamie, I'm, I'll be your dad. But, I, you know, and it was just a joke, and I'd make tease him about it, and he'd tease me about it. But then when he and Sean Payne started working together, um, the joke was that Jamie was Sean's dad. And so they would have this little, you know, because both of them kind of grew up without having a, a father figure. So the joke was that Jamie was Sean's dad. And then when Jamie passed away and Sean and I got a little closer, we both looked at each other and were like, you know what this fucking means, grandson. And it's just been this gross joke that like, okay, he's the grandson and now I'm the grandpa. That really makes me feel old. I was never old enough to be Jamie's dad, but the scary thing is that, yeah, I could have, uh, but I'm old enough to be Sean's dad. But granddad, I don't know, maybe in a lab somewhere.